All right. So you guys excited to be here today? Yeah? Most of you? Some of you guys, like, they dragged me. Well, um, let me pray, and we'll get started. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for each of these families. Uh, would you speak to our hearts today, Lord? The, the, the subject of, of family is so important. Would you speak directly into our lives and hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, you guys remember we did a survey during Easter? How many guys, some of you guys remember that during Easter? If you weren't here, we did this survey and asked, hey, what are some areas or topics, uh, facets of life that, that would be really helpful to teach on, to, to find out what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about these aspects of our lives? And the number one thing that came back, uh, out of all the surveys, and we got a ton of surveys back. Thank you for filling that out because that helps us serve you. We want to be a church that serves people, meets people right where they're at. And um, you, you know the number one thing that came back um, was how to be awesome. No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't it. The, uh, there's a few people like, I wrote that. Um, it was relationships, healthy relationships. How do I restore? How do I work through conflict? How do I have healthier relationships? And we were going to do a series on this uh, later in the year. We just decided, man, the book of Luke which is what we've been going through and acts have a lot to say about this. So we're going to, we're going to do four weeks and add four weeks to the built series built on relationship, built for relationship. And so uh, if you're new here, I want to invite you back next week. And for the next four weeks, uh, we're going to be going over some fundamentals of relationships. It's all about relationships. It's, uh, as Christians, we believe that the, the fundamental, uh, Christian belief and ethic is really about loving God and loving people. So if you would, um, would you throw the image up behind me, fellas? Um, that looks fun, doesn't it? For some, so How many of you guys, that looks amazing? Some of you guys are like, I hate water. Uh, that actually was taken in, in, uh, in Minnesota. That's actually icicles shooting out. No, I'm kidding. Um, it looks like summer. It looks like fun. It looks good. And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but in, um, in big cities like New York or Chicago, um, They'll, in the summer, sometimes, they will open up hydrants and, and shoot water out of them. And a lot of people might think, oh, it's just so kids can have fun, um, which they are. And you can leave that up for a little while if you want while I'm explaining this. Um, but one of the interesting things that you might not know uh, about the, the picture, if you guys would throw that back up, that'd be awesome. Um, but Chicago and New York, in those places, when, when the pipes underneath the city get clogged and they get blocked... Um, they decide to flood them or flush them out. And so what they'll do is, is it might look on the surface like it's just they're releasing water for fun, but really what's going on is they're actually clearing out the pipes. And depending on where you stand, it determines what you see. So if you're a kid and you see the hydrant going, what does it look like? Just joy and freedom and fun if you're a parent, because where you stand determines what you see, or you're someone driving or trying to get by these kids, it looks like an annoyance. It looks like it might get you wet or your car wet or, you know, it's, it's an inconvenience. It's an offense potentially for some people who see this. And some who might work at a city know that they actually see progress where the, the, the pipes are being cleared out. In the, in the book of Luke, it teaches us this. It teaches us in chapter 17, starting verse 1, that Jesus said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come. Hurts will come. People hurting, offending, 
uh, causing issue and problem in your life, conflict, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him to, if a millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea for causing one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard, it says in verse 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must what? Forgive him. Dang it, Bible. Some of you guys are like, only seven? Like just seven? The hard thing about that is in this culture, seven actually represented like the, uh, the, a holy number, like the infinite represented God. So it actually is saying we have to forgive them an infinite amount of times. Are you kidding me? When you read this, are you kidding me? How, how many of you guys have really been hurt in your past by somebody? And you're like, they've done this over and over, or this was so big, like really, I'm just supposed to let it go? Well, I want to I teach you the basic fundamentals and doctrine of forgiveness in the Bible. And this is such a big topic. We're actually going to be covering the, the reality of, of restoration, how forgiveness brings restoration today. But next week, we're going to be talking about how forgiveness or unforgiveness changes our identity. So what does this look like? How does it happen? Well, in verse 3, I think this is really insightful. Sometimes, we, from our culture, we have to ask the question, or I would ask it today, how do you deal with conflict? In your family, how do you deal with, uh, with forgiveness? When people offend you, how do you guys deal with it? In this passage, you'll, you kind of notes a few different ways that families often deal with conflict. So if we were reading through verse 3, it says, If your brother sins or your sister sins, someone you love sins, if they offend you, um, some of us will only focus on that part and only go that far in the verse. Like if we were to write the Bible, we kind of maybe, we might cross out the other stuff about rebuking and repenting and forgiving. If your brother sins, uh, some of us just stop there. It's kind of like saying, um, well, it's my brother. It's my sister. I don't want to cause any issues. I don't want to cause disharmony. And so for the sake of harmony, I'm not going to bring anything up. We're just going to let it go. No big deal. But here's the problem. When we won't bring an offense or a hurt that's in our life, we won't even bring it up with somebody who hurt us that we love because we love them. For the sake of harmony on the surface, we've actually brought disharmony underneath the surface. It's not all good. We don't feel like there's the lines are clear. The pipes still have blockage even though it looks on the surface like this fountain's going on everything's fine some families some people some cultures just deal with offenses by pretending that they don't they they don't even acknowledge it they ignore it does that sound familiar for anybody in here now some of us we go a little bit further our families or our way of responding to conflict is a little bit a little bit more advanced we might say well if a brother sins rebuke him and some of us here are like yes rebuke them how many guys in your family when someone's offended they get a look what's the look in your family or in your family members there's some looks that are kind of like you know when they're offended they have this you know they they they're the bible carrying ones because they've got the bible on their side they're like what did you say what did you do there's some people that have kind of this like poor me and they want everybody to see it right I'm hurt. There's some people that kind of have this like, I'm going to get even. So there's almost like this, yes, you offended me. 
Excellent. It's going to come, and you're not going to know when or how. They've just got this devilish. We all deal with conflict differently. And it says rebuke. Some people just want to rebuke and say, you hurt me. You did this thing. Have you ever heard the term like, I I forgive, but I'll never forget? You heard that term before? It's interesting. Some people function that way, like I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. And, you know, depending on the person, that can mean a whole lot of different things. It can mean like, I'll forgive you on the surface, but underneath, I don't really forgive you. I'll act like I have, but I don't forget. And what that, we live in an image-based culture, you know, like, uh, where it's all about image. And we, we want to look like forgivers. We want to look like good people, don't we? No one wants to look like, I don't know, what everybody hates in society. I don't want to look like that kind of person. I want to look like a good person. So if you look at, you know, for example, our social media can be like an extreme example of this. But whether it's Instagram or on Facebook or something like that, you can have people who are either, like, they're always sharing the most horrible things and they might not have the best social boundaries. So they're sharing like things that are almost like oversharing on Facebook where all these people can see it. And that's all they share. And it's like wah, wah, wah all the time. And then there's people that are like, my life's perfect. Everything's great. Nothing's bad. Um, praise Jesus. There's no evil in the world. You know, and th- that kind of thing. And I know I'm drawing extremes here, but but this can be helpful. And some of us can like begin to believe that like uh, what if we can make other people believe this image about us, then that's who we really are. And then the people who are seeing that on our our Facebook or Instagram or what we project in our life is perfect and perfect family, perfect relationships, perfect job, perfect house, perfect everything. Um, when we project that, other people see that and they're like, "Why don't I have that? My life's really messed up." And so what I need to do is I need to start making my life look more like this. So you see like this further and further polarization, less people in the middle saying like, that life is really tough. Here's some things going on and, and, but then here's some good things and more balanced approach. It becomes more, more polarized because we live in this age of image. We want to project what we want people to believe about us. And so when we do the rebuke thing, only the rebuke thing, what can happen is we say that I, I'll, I'll uh, forgive you, but I won't forget. And what also can be true is this, that we actually function and say, I will forget, but not forgive. That's the image thing. I will show the world that I'm a forgiving person, but I won't forget. Or I will forget so that I don't have to forgive. Because it makes me look on the surface like a forgiving person. And friends, God actually wants you and I to actually be people of forgiveness. Our whole movement was started by a God who sent His Son to forgive the world while He died on a cross to forgive them through His pain and suffering and death, His sacrifice. He could forgive us. And so we are in this movement where this God who forgave us is now creating people who can bring forgiveness into the world. Doesn't that stink? We have to be forgivers? Are you kidding me? When we're reading this passage, I mean, it's so fascinating. It says, if you brothers, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, some of you guys are like, ah, the loophole. If they repent, we have to forgive them. But if they don't repent, if they don't turn around, I'm free. I can hate all I want. I can be unforgiving as much as I can hold on to all the bitterness, as much bitterness as I want for as long as I want. Yes. Some of us in here are like, yes, we get to, we might not say that, but in our, how we function, 
or how friends of yours might function is like that that for some reason bitterness seems to give like life not a good kind of life but a bitter a reason to be angry and what what jesus is wanting to teach us in this passage is to be people of forgiveness so do we have to forgive even if they don't repent Well, the Bible has three things to say about this. I'm going to give them to you really quickly. You might take out your notes if you have them. Uh, The first three things, the way the Bible has, Jesus has a way of um, getting our loopholes and turning them on us. So the question is, do we have to forgive them if they don't repent? The Bible has three answers to that. The first is, we have to have patience and forbearance with people. I'll come back to that in a second. Patience and forbearance with people. Number two, we're called to be a people of forgiveness who forgive others. Um, and then number three, we have to love our enemy. Oh, Jesus. So the first is patience. The first is patience and forbearance. Forbearance is kind of a funny word. I think probably most of us have only heard it in a church or read it in a book or something. But forbearance is the idea of patience, the idea of bearing with somebody, the idea of being able to tolerate and endure somebody. How many of you guys have learned some forbearance and endurance in your marriages. Don't put your hand up. You're going to get you in trouble. Okay, there's a few of you who are like, I'm already in trouble. They're going to have to bear with it because I've bared with them. Forbearance. We're truthful people here at Whitewater. Um, forbearance, it, it teaches us in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. It endures. It bears with. Now this is the stuff, I mean, this is stuff that we might not need to forgive in somebody. We just need to bear with them. Like weird idiosyncrasies, weird things that come out. Traffic. How many of you guys, like, you have to learn patience when you drive? I mean, like, I was driving my family around. We were going to some place, and we were kind of lost. And, and we had this huge uh, SUV or Suburban that we, re- we rented because we wanted eight people in this thing. So I'm driving this. We've got all this family members, Sarah's family members in the back, and, you know, babies and uh, my daughter and all this stuff going on. I'm driving this thing. And, of course, you know, go ahead and cut me off. That's great. Thank you for cutting me off while I'm driving this car. I'm not used to driving. Oh, yes, turn so sl- slow, even slower turn into that. Oh, nope, nope, you're not sure? Yeah, keep going. Have any of you guys had that? And it's like, you know, 35, they're going five miles an hour. And it's just all about your patience that day because that's why you woke up in the morning, to learn patience. Thank you. Forbearance. Yes. Um, how many of you guys? get irritated when you drive okay how many of you guys are actually pretty patient when you drive you are the people that they're all impatient with you i'm just should i just end the sermon there somebody's like hallelujah i kid of course my cousin used to use a term when he was trying to be patient and use forbearance not necessarily forgiving, but just trying to be patient with people. He'd use this term. He learned it, I think, from a movie called Anger Management. It's a term that is used by Eskimo uh, mothers as a, as a soothing word. You guys know the word? Goosefaba. Yeah. He would say, Goosefaba. When he was upset with me or my, you know, my sister or his dad, he'd just, like, he would just kind of slow down. He'd be like, Goosefaba. 
And I was like, what is he saying? And they're like, it's his soothe, soothing word. And he, he would use it whenever he needed to be patient. I, and some of you guys, maybe your word for the day might not even be forgiveness. It's goose faba, just to be patient with others. One time I was in, um, we were in Canada. We had drove with my family. We've driven up to Canada. And we were going to go see the Fellowship of the Rings. I was a big, like, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, Lord of the Rings nerd. Still am. I love it. It was the first one that came out. It was the Fellowship. And we went up to Canada because in Bellingham, up near the border, there was no, like, huge theater. And this Colossus Theater, it was called the Colossus, had the, it was the first new, big screen, huge, like, earth-shaking, uh, uh, sound system. And it was, it was, and then, like, stadium seating. And it was huge screen. And so we drove all the way up to Canada to go to the Colossus Theater. And we got in there. My little brother, who probably might have been even too young, he was in the last service, too young uh, to be in that, but he watched it with us. It changed his life. Um, he used to go around to people. He could barely talk. He would be like, cut your heads off. <laughs> Couldn't say his F's. He'd cut your heads off. I mean, he's cutting your head off. And my dad was like, no, don't say that, Evan. Um, but he learned it from Lord of the Rings. And uh, I remember we were in this theater, and it was it, the movie started, the music was on. The, the the elves and the hobbits and it was just like this world and it was like yes some of you guys remember that first movie it was like so amazing and then I heard this and I was like what in the world and I looked over and my sister I was in high school my sister was like early high school or late middle school she had a Tootsie Pop in her mouth that she was crunching on and then sucking louder than, I mean, just. And I was like, it was taking me out of this world where there's wizards and elves and, you know, all these mythical creatures. And all these people started looking back because she was chewing this thing so loud. I mean, this has never happened before. And she's. And I finally, um, I just reached, I looked over at her. She looked over at me. She thought we were, it was like, oh, we're enjoying this movie look. It was not. And. I reached over and I, and I grabbed that Tootsie Pop and just yanked it out of her mouth. I'm not proud of this moment. And then I looked at her and she looked at me. And then I threw that thing on the ground. And then I looked back at her like... Everyone in the theater is like... And then you look back at the movie. A few seconds later I hear this low... I look over and she's crying. I made my sister cry. And I felt so bad. But inside I was like, but you were ruining the movie. I had no patience, no forbearance. And I remember my mom slowly handing over another Tootsie Pop. (laughs) It was terrible. But some of us got to learn to have forbearance. The second thing the Bible teaches us about how to deal with conflict and offense is forgiveness. Jesus uh, taught in Luke 11, he said, forgive us our sins. He's teaching people to pray. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. God, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. He teaches us to pray. And we think to ourselves, God, you know, our God's looking at us and he says, what, what about what about you? And you're like, but what about them? And he's like, but what about you? And you're like, God, can you stay focused here? We're not talking about me. We're talking about them. God has this way of always bringing it back around to us, doesn't he? Forgive because you've been forgiven. 
uh, Lord, would you forgive me as I am forgiving others? Love your enemy. It says in Luke 6, But I say to you uh, who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And I love the Bible doesn't say don't acknowledge that there aren't people who treat you like an enemy. It's not like sweep it on the, the rug or pretend like someone's not acting like an enemy. Acknowledge it. The Bible is always about truth in love. And so the, for those of us who are like, man, if they repent, then we forgive. There's this other thing called love of enemy. And Jesus raises us the bar and says we need to be a community of love, of loving our enemies. If Everybody can forgive. Everybody can love somebody who's their friend. But who can really love their enemy? I mean, in our day and age today, this might be the biggest grace principle that the church has to offer the world. We live in an age where people make enemies and sometimes even want enemies because it helps them find their identity in a group or a politic, in a politician, in a... In a um, in a community of people that they want to identify with. And the way they identify is by creating an enemy. And what if the greatest thing we can offer the world these days is the way of loving our enemy? We're going to talk about this in this series. I can't, I don't have time because this is so, such a deep thing, but it's, I wanted you to know these are three ways that God teaches us to deal with the things that offend us, the people that offend us. Now, here's, here's the point. We're built for relationships. Conflict will happen. Offenses will happen. So how do we deal with this? The pipe will get clogged. The pipe will get filled with all kinds of debris between us and others. How will we forgive? How do we move from the offense to forgiveness? I want to give you three quick ways we do this. They are taught in this passage. Offenses will certainly come. What kind of offenses have come into your life? What offenses and debris have blocked the, 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 the relational pipes between you and others? Meanness. These are the things that come between us and others. People can just be mean. You ever had someone just mean? They're just mean sometimes. Careless words. Teasing. Gossip. Slander. Jealousy. Sibling rivalries. You ever seen that come between people? The competitiveness gets out of control. Betrayal. Like utter, total betrayal. Like you betrayed me. You betrayed your family. You betrayed everything you stand for. How can you be standing there today and when you've betrayed me on this level? You ever felt betrayed by somebody? Addiction. Addiction can come. And addiction doesn't just affect one person. It affects like many people. Everybody. The people you care about most will be affected the most because of addiction, because of betrayal, because of sin. And, and that's one of the lies we believe, um, cause we get addicted to sin. We get addicted to like defending and ourselves and, and this pride, like we have to put this facade up. We get addicted to creating the image we want people to believe. And, um, and we end up hurting the people we love most. This happens between fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons, mothers and daughters. It happens between brothers and sisters. This happens between best friends. This happens between coworkers. Where we somehow are damaged and hurt. What do we do with the offense? How do we move from the hurt, pain, sin, and offense to forgiveness? First thing is this. Forgiveness looks beyond the offense. Forgiveness looks beyond the offense. It doesn't, it doesn't, 
uh, ignore it. doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. It acknowledges it, but looks beyond it. It looks beyond it. If your brother sins, it says in Luke 17.3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. It's saying you have to look toward forgiveness. It's saying that uh, you have to look beyond the offense, beyond the chasm, the thing that separates you. And you have to look to what could be and what should be. You have to look beyond the offense. Some people can never do that. They get so locked in on the offensive thing, they can't move beyond it. Forgiveness restores. Forgiveness restores. It restores brothers and sisters. Because we look beyond the offense, we look to the person, we look to the relationship. Okay, it's damaged here, but I'm looking to that person, and I'm looking at them as a brother. Remember it says in the beginning of this, if your brother sins. It's not even saying your enemy, it's teaching us to look at other people as a potential brother, a potential sister. And whatever is between us and them, uh, we believe as Christians that, that God can do miracles, and that He can span the gap, that He can heal what's broken, and that somehow, some way, this person who's broken might be able to become a brother or sister again and even if we can never be close with them again or it's changed things or they're still doing that toxic thing like if if he's hurting you you need to get out this isn't forgiveness isn't saying that you just continue experiencing abuse over and over and over in an abusive relationship sometimes people are so toxic you have to you either needs to be some kind of separation for sure but forgiveness can still happen and forgiveness sometimes can be the first a step toward a miracle in somebody else's life. Amen? That's a hard amen, isn't it? That's a painful amen sometimes. Because we're the ones who have been betrayed. Or you're the one who's betrayed somebody. You might be sitting in here and you're like, this is so awkward right now. Because I'm describing, and the Bible is describing exactly what's happened to you. How do you move beyond it? How do you not become the person that's like, well, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna forgive them. I'm gonna remain bitter and unforgiving. And that's, I've heard someone say that, you know, like not forgiving somebody to hurt them is like drinking poison to hurt somebody else. Like you're just hurting yourself. I'm hurting myself when we do that. We have to move beyond it. Forgiveness restores. It looks to the potential brother or sister, even if they're acting like an enemy. Forgiveness can take a miracle and it can also cause a miracle. It's saying forgiveness takes hard work. It takes really hard work. And some of that work is impossible. Like It also takes God's work. And here's the reality. We as Christians believe that forgiveness is hard work. There's a daily grind to forgiveness. You ever been at a point where you're so angry, so hurt by somebody? That it's like you don't just forgive them once. You've got to forgive them like every day. So you can keep going. You ever been in that state? It is hard work. This this is teaching that's not like easy and like this magic spell by the Christian God that like, oh, poof, and everything feels great. Forgiveness is a commitment, not a feeling. Forgiveness is a commitment, not a feeling. We are called to be the forgiving people in a world that struggles with forgiveness, in a world that has no incentive to forgive. And if they do because they can get something from you, is it really forgiveness? Or is it just a business transaction? How do we forgive? How do we do this? Forgiveness takes a miracle. Some of us, it takes a miracle in our own hearts, and some of us, it, it, we need God. And it, some of us, it says, basically, this is teaching it. Forgiveness causes a miracle. Let me let me share a story with you. Jesus, in the book of Luke, um, in Luke chapter seven, he uh, enters into a religious man's home, 
And they, they host him and there's a party going on. And in the middle of the party where he's hanging out with religious people. And religious people in this day and age don't associate with sinners, people who have sin in their life. They don't associate with them. And so Jesus is with them and he's seen as this new rabbi teaching this radical thing. And the religious guys are trying to figure it out. And um, this guy named Simon is the host. He's a religious guy. And, and this party's going on. And in the middle of it, this woman comes in. Who's very, who's got all sorts of problems in her life and she throws herself down and she begins worshiping Jesus. She begins like cleaning his feet with her hair and she begins, uh, with her tears she cleans his feet. She begins kissing his feet. She begins worshiping Jesus and Simon and all the religious people see this and a hush goes over the crowd in this party, like total party foul and a hush, uh, falls over the room and the, and the Simon says she's a sinner. And, and, and he see, what he sees in front of him is a sinner, and even worse is he sees Jesus, who's a religious guy, who's, a, who's supposed to be like a teacher or a rabbi, letting someone who's a sinner touch him. And in those days, they believed like that sin was like this infection that would transfer to you. And so uh, Simon, the guy who's hosting this, kind of sees this act of grace, but it's offensive to him. Where like, where, where like some people might see like this fountain of love bursting forward. Simon sees this offensive, annoying, awful thing happening in his house, and he yells at Jesus, she's a sinner. Everybody knows it. She knows it. Jesus replies to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. I think sometimes Jesus looks into our lives. I think that God looks into our hearts, and sometimes God's like, hey, I got something to say to you. And sometimes it's a gracious thing. Sometimes it's a really hard truth, but it's for our good. Simon, I got something to say to you. Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors, two people who owed debt. One owed 500 denarii, and the other owed 50. Since they could not pay it back, neither of them could pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. And Jesus asked, so which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged correctly. You understand what I'm saying. Jesus, turning to the, to the woman, said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Now, just for, this moment is so powerful. Like, do you see what Jesus is saying to him? What did Simon yell just a second ago? Sinner! There's a sinner! And Jesus says, There's a woman. Do you see the difference? He's saying, do you see who's really in front of you? Can you look beyond the offense? Can you look toward restoration? Can you, can you believe that, that maybe a, that forgiveness uh, it can take a miracle, but it can also cause a miracle? Jesus says, do you see this woman? Simon only saw a sinner. He only saw the problem. Um, I love what he says this. It says next to him, he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You have given me no kiss, no welcome into your home, but she hasn't stopped kissing or welcoming my feet since I walked in here. Uh, you didn't anoint my head with olive oil. You didn't treat me like a teacher. You didn't treat me like somebody that God had sent to help you, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And that's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. Simon, you love little. 
you have not received much forgiveness, have you? You don't even, you don't see me as somebody who can bring forgiveness into your life. For some people, it takes a miracle for forgiveness to happen. But in this story, we see that Jesus is saying, but for some people, forgiveness causes a miracle. This woman sitting in here, absorbing all your judgment, all your hate, all your unforgiveness, she's a walking miracle. She's forgiven. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Isn't that true? It depends on how we see the fountain. Would you throw that image up? Some of us, like Simon, see an annoyance and an offense when we see forgiveness being poured out. Some of us, like this woman, some of us like Jesus, see like transformation, a, a, new, a new shot at life, a new beginning. You see joy. And some of us, also like Jesus, see what's going on underneath, that what's happened or happening when forgiveness is happening is that there's a clearing of the pipes. The debris and the offenses and the problems and the muck and the evil of sin is being washed away. Which person are you? Does the thought of forgiving, does the thought of receiving, does the thought of asking for forgiveness, does that, make, does that annoying and offensive to you? Or is it something that you're like, that overjoys you? Do you see that there's a relation? Do you feel relational tension? Are you willing to step into it? Are you willing to ask for forgiveness? Are you willing to ask God to give you the miracle in your heart for people that are hard to forgive, that maybe don't deserve forgiveness? Are you able to, with God's help, forgive them? Today we're taking communion. I want to invite you to communion. If you believe in Jesus, if you've put your life into Jesus' hands, even if today you ask for forgiveness and say, God, I want forgiveness today. I don't even fully understand you, but I know I need this in my life. Communion's for you. And when we take communion, it's taking bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. When we um, take the, the, the communion wine, it's his blood. It's, it represents his blood that was spilt for us. Because whenever you forgive somebody, it costs you something. Would you throw the image of the, um, of the fountain up? This is a fountain of love and joy. Forgiveness is like that. Forgiveness is also like the cross. Somebody or pain and hurt. When somebody's forgiven, somebody has to sacrifice. Are you and I willing to be forgiven people, forgiven by God, who give forgiveness to others? Are you and I willing to be a committed people, committed to helping others find forgiveness and restoring brothers and sisters, looking into their eyes with love, not disdain or hate? Will you forgive today? Amen? So here's the deal. As the band plays, as we take communion, I want to ask you to forgive Forgive people. In your heart, sit in your seat. Ask for forgiveness if you need forgiveness. Forgive people. Walk up to them. If they're here today, walk up to them. If they're not here, call them on the phone today, today, today. Before you even take communion, if you need to work something out, if you need to ask for forgiveness or receive forgiveness, take care of that today. And enjoy the life and joy that happens through the cross of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. 
We're so grateful for you. Would you help us receive forgiveness? Would you help us to forgive others? Would you help us to restore? Would you help us to look past the offense? Would you help us to see not just a sinner, but to see a person made in the image of God that needs to be restored, even if they're headed the wrong direction, Lord? Help us to love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.